Welcome to series two of Deep Evolution from Salvage Wire. In this podcast, we interview interesting and inspiring leaders to discuss issues that are facing the vehicle salvage and the vehicle recycling industries, along with other leaders who can challenge and inspire the whole industry. In this episode, we welcome Becky Berube of United Catalyst Corporation, one of the leading catalyst processors. Becky is also an influencer and leader in the industry and has a passion to develop leaders. So let's get straight into our conversation about catalyst recycling and leadership development. Becky, welcome to the Depollution podcast. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us. As a way of introduction, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your career, who you have worked for, and obviously your current role and the company that you work for currently? Andy, it is a pleasure to be with you today. Um, We are friends from at least 10 years in this industry, and um, I'm excited to just see what you're doing. And you always, um, like us, you always try to bring value to, to recyclers. And so I'm happy to be a guest. Thanks for having me. And so I guess about 27, 28 years ago, um, I started in auto catalyst recycling um, with a company, United Catalyst was founded by my husband, Tim and I, uh, nearly 28 years ago now. And so um, I have not always done that. I started off in, um, as an investment a portfolio accountant in Boston uh, for Putnam Investments. And I didn't always really wanna be in this business. So it's kind of interesting. Um, I'm the mother of three grown children now. I did not think it was that cool at first, you know, when I was working in Boston and we kind of co-founded the company, but eventually I jumped in and I've done a few other things, but it really wasn't until 2010, um, I was in education. I was a development director. We still had the company, but I had exited the company a couple of times. I had exited the company to work as a chief fundraising officer for a K through 12 school where our kids attended. And I loved that job. I love seeing my kids every day. And, um, but then it just became necessary for me to go back into corporate. And I was re- actually recruited by Umacore. Umacore is one of the three companies that makes the auto catalyst. And I kind of got bamboozled into, I hope Mark Caffrey doesn't hear this podcast, but I kind of got, <laughs> I went for a coffee <laughs> in Raleigh. And when I went into to the um, conference room for the coffee, there was a Skype meeting with HR in Belgium. And there was the head of HR. And there was Mark Caffrey, who's president of Umicore USA. And I thought I was having a coffee to talk about um, maybe Tim working you know, in, in, in North Carolina for their, for their facility there. And it turned into an interview. And it, I felt like the godfather just when I thought I was out they pulled me back in, you know? And so I go through and we talk in this extensive interview and they said, if we advance your candidacy, this is straight before Christmas, 2010. So, you know, 10 years ago now and same time of year. And I said, if you advance my candidacy, they said, yes, if we advance your candidacy, can you, um, can you test in Chicago just, just before Christmas? And if we, if, we, if we offer you a position, can you be in Belgium the first week of January, travel North America for two weeks, and then um, start your job as commercial manager in North America for Umacore Auto Catalyst Recycling? And I 
I'll tell you, I mean, here comes the, the woman in me. I leave a job that I love. I mean, I was, I was torn to enter an industry that I couldn't say I honestly loved, but I did it because it was the right thing for our family. And so for two years, almost two years, I got up and went to Raleigh, four hours away from my home, mm. left Tim with the, the kids and traveled North America. And then I fell in love with auto recyclers. And it, I remember my first show was with um, Steve Fletcher up in Ontario. I just heard about it. And Michael Carcone, who I met and just thought the world of from the day I met him, he said, Becky, this is great that you're offering, you know, assay or refining services, right, to the industry. Are you coming to URG? URG is like in two weeks, mm. you know, back in Denver. And I have, so 10 years ago, and I have not stopped traveling with you all since. And that led me to, I was traveling around for Umicor. And, you know, as a refiner, the thing you care about is volume. And so really I was, I was all of my current competitors or friendly competitors, you know, the other folks who process catalyst in North America. Um, that was my job was to call on them for them sending their catalyst into Umicor on, on refining um, and to get some of the bigger recyclers to maybe try it. But then I just, something about where I come from, Andy, and that is we come from repair. My father-in-law is Big Al. And he is the star of our YouTube channel. We have the Ask Big Al show. And he is 45 years in automotive repair and exhaust repair. So nobody knows catalytic converters like Big Al, right? So we come from the fact that we knew that auto recyclers and muffler shops were not getting the lion's share of the value of the scrap catalytic converter. Mm -hmm. So while I was working for Humacor and traveling North America, calling on processors, then it hit me. Why isn't assay-based selling for everyone? What if we could take assay-based selling to the street? And that is when I decided to join Tim again. And Umicor was very gracious. Mm -hmm. they, they released me and they released me from my non-compete a half a year early. And they allowed me to come back as president of United Catalyst Corporation and begin the work that we started now eight, eight years ago almost. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that was bringing assay-based selling or selling on recovery right down to 100 units. So any recycler who had 100 units could participate or more. And, and, and that is the big difference between what you're doing at UCC and what other... Um, catalyst recyclers are doing is it so i would say that 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 day that line of demarcation that so we started offering this program we were probably in our facility and we started um i guess it was april of 2013 because mm -hmm. i stayed almost two years uh, 18 months with umicore and then it took another six months or so before umicore released me from my mm -hmm. non-compete and so we released the, um, the assay-based program to the marketplace in 2013, where nobody wanted to try it. Mm. I mean, people were terrified to ship their converters away and wait for money. Mm. And we had companies like, like JC Cahill um, from New England Truck and Auto. We had Pete's um, Auto and Truck mm -hmm. Parts from, from Michigan. We had a few brave souls 
who were willing to ship that box and try assay. And I would say that now, seven years later, we have probably turned 20% of the marketplace in North America to assay. And we caused all of our competitors to offer assay as well, including the smelters. So obviously there's more money in buying whole units because recyclers were leaving. You know, recyclers tell us maybe five to 45% of on the table mm -hmm. by selling whole units. Mm -hmm. Now you could, you know, it just depends. We don't know how much more money you're gonna make on assay, but you will definitely tell us how much more you're making because it depends on how your current buyer is treating you. But I, I think we flipped the industry on its mm -hmm. head to be quite honest with you. And we made everyone have to, have to react to that. And now the issue is, now that assay is broadly offered by almost all processors and smelters, now you have to talk about how you can ta be taken advantage of on assay. Yeah. So now that we got you to commit to a process that you can trust, because there's only one way to recycle a scrap catalytic converter, and that is to totally destroy it, to homogenize it, to blend it down to a fine powder, to test it scientifically, the only way to determine the true value of that converter. But now we have to talk to folks about, you've got a process you can trust, but you also need a partner you can trust, mm -hmm. right? And so if you have a partner you can trust, then you, you have to look at not having your dust taken or skimmed or your assay skimmed. So just like a buyer could take advantage of a recycler buying whole units, by grading scams and by, um, you know, two for one sales, I call them, having someone to death. Now we have to say assay is the, is the only way, but is all of your weight there? Hmm. Because if you're missing weight, you're missing money. Yeah. Because yeah. the dust is the most, so the dust, Andy, could be 1% of the weight of your load, mm -hmm. but it could be 10 or 20% of the value of your converters. That much. So if I wanted to be disreputable and 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 didn't give you the dust back into your load, you'd be missing five, 10, right? 15 bucks. Yeah. And and I'd be keeping it. Hmm. So you so you not only need a process you can trust, which is assay, and a program that you can trust that allows you to be whatever size you are and participate, but you also need it still comes down to trust. Hmm. Not much has changed. You still need a, a partner you can trust. And we really believe in the power of education. And that's why you see me write the articles. That's why you yeah. see me. I'm like an evangelist for assay-based selling of you know of auto catalysts. Yeah. Yeah. But you must be justifiably proud of the fact that you change the industry. I was sitting in church. I'm not going to lie. I was sitting in church when the vision came to me <laughs> and I, and I am thankful because recyclers own the vehicle. Mm. They own the commodity. I remember telling Benny Cunningham, well, I went up to Benny Cunningham at a URG after he presented about the um, automotive core exchange or the, the, the you know, the bank. Mm. I just that first year and he and I said, I want to talk to you about scrap catalytic converters. And he said, they're just scrap. They go in the scrap pile. Mm. And I said, no, I said, they're a commodity. Mm. And if he didn't leverage that phrase, you know, <laughs> I'm not taking, I will take credit for it. I said, no, you don't have scrap. You have a, you know, a commodity, yeah, yeah. you know, it, it's something that you can participate in just like any other ferrous or non-ferrous metal. Mm. 
get to participate. We don't even say we're buying, we're not even buying your converters. We're literally managing the sale of your precious metals. Hmm. Hmm. Wow, amazing, absolutely amazing. As, yeah, I mean, yeah, as I say, that's something to be really proud of to, for, for what you do. So, so yeah, really, really well done. Now, there is, there's a growing problem of uh, catalytic converter theft across the world. So what is the, the industry doing to combat this problem and how can vehicle recyclers help in the fight in, in the fight against this sort of criminal activity sure so i just wrote an article on um cat burglary and mm -hmm. other forms of theft that i think you can pick up in just the past issues maybe past two months mm -hmm. uh in recyclers power source and in toolbox and maybe even with hayden mm -hmm. in uh, yeah. i think he just, i think hayden's just putting that one out yeah. for, for us yeah. um but you know this gal even though i'm sitting in south carolina i am a native new englander Mm -hmm. So that makes me a New England Patriots fan. And I know this is an international podcast and nobody really cares about the New England Patriots. And we care a whole lot less now that Tom Brady has gone to Tampa. But there's a saying that we really respect that Coach Bill Belichick says, and that is do your job. Mm -hmm. So when I wrote that article, um, I am the much more, um, what do you call it, extrovert of, of the partnership. My husband, Tim, is the introvert, right? He he builds all the equipment and everything. And so he helped me write that article and he just reminded me, he's like, do your job. He said, it's your valuable asset. And you as a recycler have to do everything, no matter what it takes, personnel, cameras, um, walking the facility with your manager, looking for chain links that have been cut, looking for high areas of grass. Um, so the primary responsibility is with the recycler themselves to protect the catalytic converter, whether that's removing it and getting it in a container. We laughed when we said, do you remember the recycler in Vermont that had taken the, an oil tanker, like the, the body of an oil tanker, mm -hmm. and he had cut a hole in the top like a piggy bank? And he used to lift the catalytic converters up and dump them in until we went up, till Tim used to drive up on a root truck and he had created a moat around this tanker. And so when you'd come, he'd pull the thing down and like empty the piggy bank, but nobody could get in there because if you fell in, you weren't getting out. You'd be there, you know, you'd probably have a death on your hands. So, I mean, we've, we, he also, um, back with commercial metals in Florida, back in the day, Tim was telling them like, go ahead and spray the inside of your converter, a certain color for that week or that month. And I think companies in Israel still are doing that sort of thing. Either you get a, um, you make a template and you spray paint your logo on them or because you don't want to buy them back. And a lot of problems inherently have your guys throwing them out giving them to a buddy to come back and sell them to you, or if you're like a hybrid yard. So, so, excuse me, if you go ahead and color them inside, that's one thing you can do. Um, since the precious metals are so high, Andy, and theft is like some companies tell us six figures, like over $100,000 this year in loss, um, we are working with ISRI, ARA, um, I'm president of the International Precious Metals Institute this year, and um, we're gonna work with Steve Fletcher for ARC and for Aura to come together and discuss what we can do as an industry. 
I would love to see the OEs, you know, the can number. I would love to see some kind of VIN tracing on the cans mm -hmm. so that if the OEs would go ahead and laser in at least part of the VIN so that they could be traced, I think it would help law enforcement to know what vehicles they're coming off of. I think that, but you have to be really careful because just like um, recyclers don't really want the odometer laws to come to them once they buy the cars at auction, mm -hmm. they really shouldn't be responsible for how that car, you know, I mean, once it gets to them legitimately, we want to be careful not to put the onus on the recycler or on us for something that like we're trying not to buy stolen hmm. product. So the one way we do that at United Catalyst, Andy, is we have a very strong KYC or know your customer um, anti-money laundering mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. policy. And I've also written a past article about that. The need for recyclers to build AML and KYC policies into their companies is huge. Truthfully, if this industry would stop taking cash for converters, almost all of this problem would go away. Is that is more than just converters? It's cash for a lot of things, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not telling yeah. people how to run yeah. their business. It's a very personal yeah. decision, but you know, we one we don't take any business in from peddlers. You have to pass our KYC. You have to be a business. You have to be paying taxes yeah. to work with us. And we have no retail. We're hundred percent business to business mm -hmm. wholesale. Mm -hmm. So nobody comes up here that has just gone and done a deal with your stolen converters at Walmart and comes over here and sells them to us. That doesn't happen yeah. here. Cause one, we don't buy converters because you have to go on assay. So we don't yeah. buy any units. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, that, and that is really, really good to hear because uh, you know, and, and, and that, and that just, to me, it's just really, really spot on business, business practice that, you know, you know, and it's, and as you said, and, it, and, and the, the little takeaway there is know your customer. Yeah. Really, really key to, to, to know your customer and, and, and actually treat, treat them properly. In the, in, and if you do that, they will treat you properly as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's amazing. Now, looking, looking further ahead, looking a little bit further ahead, we've got a, a number of countries are bringing in restrictions on the sale of brand new uh, vehicles with internal combustion engines. Now, um, ultimately, and this is a number of years ahead, but ultimately this will impact on the volume of catalytic converters being available for recycling. So how are UCC looking to change their operating model to prepare for this future? Because you, know, you have got a limited sort of lifespan because when internal combustion engines stop, then your business stops, doesn't it? So, right. so, so what, what are you doing? So interesting, fun fact, I was about 23 when we started the company and I'm now 52. So my first precious metals meeting, they were talking about fuel cells and that the internal combustion engine was going away. And so to date, the electrification has still not happened. And maybe God willing, I have 20 years left in this. And hopefully since the cars are coming off at a rate of 12 years, you know, or so, hopefully there'll still be enough catalytic converters out there. But no, to, to pivot, let, let's talk about electrification and the ramifications of, um, so I think number one, Bloomberg just reported that hybrid car sales are outpacing, we all know this, electric, you know, fully electric vehicles. And that is probably the trend that's going to continue. We're going to see more hybrids. Hybrid converters have an excellent value. So mm -hmm. very high in value. So the PGM loadings are high in those. 
which is good for, you know, because of the number of cold starts that a, that a hybrid or a mild hybrid have to make. I myself wrote an article about the future of hybrids. So I went out and bought a mild hybrid. So I have a 48 volt powertrain assist mm-hmm. on, 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 so anyway, just fun fact. But I think what we're gonna see Andy is even if we went 100% to electric vehicles, the fuel cells would have a high pl- platinum usage. Mm-hmm. But I think what you guys are gonna, I mean, do you think by 2025, you're gonna see more hybrids in the UK? Well, the 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 laws now from the UK perspective are 2030. Uh, 2030, okay. 2030, no more internal combustion engine vehicles, and then plug-in hybrids have got an extension for five years. Five years. So if so, if we go anywhere like um, Norway has done, then um, within a few years, over fifty percent of our new vehicle sales will be fully electric. In, right. In so we're going to recycle batteries, guys. That's why we're on the battery team. And I think yeah. that's maybe what you were alluding to. Yeah. We yeah. just did a hybrid battery session with ARA at the annual um, convention. And we're on a team with the Department of Energy with Umicor. So Umicor, my former employer, the um, you know they're a global materials technology group. So they make, um, they, you take the precious metals, you take 18 base metals, and they make applications for a better life. So whether that's photovoltaics for solar, whether it's auto catalysts, so those kind of companies are large, but they have the world's uh, most developed uh, lithium ion nickel metal hydride refining um, operation. It's called Umicor battery recycling. So most of the OEs end up with their materials at U- in Umicor in Belgium. And then you've got um, Dirk Spears, who owns Spears New Technologies. And he gave us a great video. I mean, his plant is fabulous. And so they're more in the reman and the reuse. And I'm trying to get ARA to work with, you know, with Dirk and with us. We'll be more of the logistics part of the um, solution. Mm -hmm. So getting the hybrid, the hybrid batteries, we're always going to look for solutions for recyclers. That's what we do. We, We look for, you know, to improve their bottom line. The problem with the hybrid batteries Andy, is that some of them have a positive value for, for where you get paid and some you have to pay to get rid of, hmm. like tires used to be, you know, whatever. So if we can, and, and Spears is coming up with um, Alfred, which is a technology that will actually be at the auto auctions, I think, and maybe mm-hmm. eventually in the automotive recycling yards mm-hmm. facility so that you can tell the state of charge so the whole key to getting paid for a hybrid battery is going to be the state of charge of that battery and the distance it has to travel to reman yeah. or, or reuse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. coming. And, and, yeah, I'd say that was announced um, in November at the, at the ARA. When, when is that going live? Is that live so, live? so unfortunately, we did not win the next prize. Um, in the DOE battery prize, but we are now meeting to discuss, that doesn't mean we're gonna go away. We still have a really, we've got Cox Automotive, we've got Schnitzer Steel, we've got Phoenix Automotive cores in ourselves, we've got Umicore and Spears New Technologies, and we're all willing to put something in place mm-hmm. for the recyclers. So we're gonna continue meeting in January to yeah. discuss next steps. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant, yeah. Um, but does that mean you're gonna have to change the name of the company because? Uh... 
the cats and the bats. <laughs> yeah. So we are working, we are working on, you know, we're going digital, right? Yeah. Every company is going digital and we have a really cool, you know, in catalytic converter recycling, mm. everybody wants an app, mm. but let me give you my two cents on apps. Apps are only as good as the person who develops them is willing to share the data with you. There's still a, a huge opaque problem with apps, right? Because I can hide the amount of margin that I'm making yeah. on you, yeah. right? And so we're really, at United Catalyst Corporation, we're really committed to making recycling solutions that improve the bottom line of recyclers. Mm -hmm. So if we can't help you map to VIN and tell you how much those cats or the batteries are mm -hmm. worth when you're buying the car, then what are we doing? So you can expect when we come out with a digital product, it's going to be recycler centric and it's going to improve the bottom line of the recycler Fantastic. because that's what, that's what we're here for. Fantastic. Fantastic. And if your crystal ball is, is, is working, what do you think the sector is going to look like in sort of two, five, 10 years from now? Mm. With cats and bat ca mm. catalytic converters mm. and batteries. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, as you've predicted, we're going to see, less catalytic converters going into the recycling stream eventually, right? Mm -hmm. But we're 10, 15 years from that. Yeah. And then maybe another 10 years because of their coming. Mm -hmm. So we've got 12 million converters in North America coming um, out of registration, being deregistered. And so on average, those cars have two catalytic converters. Some have four, some have mm -hmm. three. Mm -hmm. So we've got 22 million, at least 24 million that are available that number may come down, but the batteries will start to go up. Yeah. Um, how many cars become deregistered in, in England? Do you know? It's, it's, around, it's around 2 million a year. So about 4, four million cats. Mm, not necessarily, because obviously we run far smaller engines than you do. So And diesels. And your and, diesels are high. A lot of diesels, yeah. yeah. Same as Europe, the rest of Europe, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, maybe it's maybe it's three million mm. but you know you've got the problem with silicon carbide and the diesels yeah. it's been a yeah. pesky little thing has its moments doesn't it has its moments now looking back you, you know you've 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 had a, a number of different positions across your your working life and you've obviously you've not sat back and you've not sat back and rested on your success what drives you to continuously move forward to grow your knowledge your skills and also your influence in the industry I think people are basically motivated internally, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I am one of those people that I'm very forward thinking. So I probably was on Twitter like 10 years before my kids knew what Twitter was. So I'm probably an early adopter. I'm a bit of a, I don't know if you've ever heard of a thinking wavelength, but there's a, there's a gentleman that was a, a he was a next door neighbor of Peter Drucker. And I mm -hmm. apologize for the notifications. I shut them off on my computer, but I apologize. Oh. They keep coming through. But um, Peter Drucker's next door neighbor in Big Bear and California was a man named Tom Patterson. And Tom Patterson held over a hundred, um, he did Space Mountain. He, he held over a hundred patents, including the ATM and Space Mountain. They say that Tom, that Tom Patterson was Peter Drucker applied. So really interesting guy. And he, he was really big in creating strat strategic planning for companies also. So the reason why I mentioned him is I really had like 
an epiphany when I was working for the school and had to take them through a strategic planning process. But one of the things he says is that, that we have to get a clear picture of where we're at, you know, and any, and any plan that is not based in reality is doomed to fail. He also talked about the thinking wavelength and the thinking wavelength says that on a scale of one to 10, people are on this thinking wavelength. And number one to one is the grinders. They're people who are really good at doing a repetitive job, right? And then number three is like minders. They're people who are really good at supervisory work. And then number five is gatekeepers. They're more of our administrators. They manage up as well as managing down. Number seven is a constructor. So they're the people in sales. They're very good. You know, they're, they're people who build and take on things. And then number 10 in our organization is a conceiver. And a conceiver is someone that on the thinking wavelength, you usually only have one or two of them in an organization or they eat, they eat the other one. You know, so pastors are usually high. Mm -hmm. teacher, teachers are usually high. Mm -hmm. Steve Jobs, Bill Gates. You usually have only one conceiver in an organization. I've spent most of my career, Andy, in roles like sales, finance, being the fiduciary financial officer. That's, you know, things I didn't think I would do, but I'm really close to a 10. Hmm. So I'm somewhere, I'm like probably a high nine. Hmm. So I love the 30,000 foot. I'm the black hole of this company. So if you want to sell us something, if you want to set up your account, you want sales at unitedcatalystcorporation.com. They try to keep me away from taking the instructions on the loads coming in because we'll process the material any way you tell us. You know, you might have 15 locations and you have to have, don't tell Becky. That's the, that's the joke around here. Don't let her near taking any orders or setting up accounts. If you need terms, don't don't call. I mean, I'll give everyone my phone number so I'm easily accessed, accessible. I'm very accessible, but it, but you might not want to leave the details with me. So if that tells you somewhere, I'm somewhere between a constructor and a conceiver. Mm. So I, I live at about 20,000 feet. Yeah. Yeah. So always forward thinking, always, yeah. you know, I love to read. Let me make a plug for the, um, mm. the auto recycling between the lines. Mm -hmm. So on Facebook, we have a book club that we started about two or three years ago with about two or 300 people in it. And all we do in there, and I know you're part of that, Andy, auto recycling between the lines is our book club. And you know, I love to read. I'm a very slow reader. So for those of you out there, half of my library is on Audible so that when I drive, I can, cause I'll probably only get five or 10 pages read a night yeah. because I work too long. I'm working on work-life balance. <laughs> but if you, if you ask my team, I'm always like, that book is so great. So I get 20 copies. You remember the year at ARA yeah, when our customer giveaway was yeah. Ken Blanchard. That's another defining thing in my life, right? Mm -hmm. I did my um, master's in executive leadership um, in 2007 to 2009 with Ken Blanchard and the University of San Diego School of Business. Wow. So that I got to stay with Ken and Margie and live at their home once a week, once a month for two years and yeah. two weeks in the summer. Yeah. So so my leadership has like leadership to me, um, I take it right from Ken. Leadership is influence, but it's something we do with people, not we do to people. Also, feedback is the breakfast of champions. Uh, none of us is as 
you know, good as all of us, you know, those kind of things all come from those kind of things in my life all come from Ken. Well, I mean, I mean, the opportunity to even talk to Ken and I've, and I've met him once and spoken to him once, but, uh, you know, you know, I love the opportunity to talk to him, but, uh, uh, but to actually live with him for a period of time. Wow. So, and we went through a house fire where they lost their home, but if you remember the ARA where we got to have um, Gary Ridge, the CEO of WD40 come in, that was because he was my professor on talent management and succession planning. So every single course in the Masters of Science, Executive Leadership, you have an academician and a practitioner. Mm -hmm. So you can have a guy from Apple with somebody from the University of San Diego School of Business teaching you that weekend in its executive cohort. So Gary, he was 40 years old when he became CEO of mm. WD40. Mm. And his management style was be bold, be brief and be gone. And he got invited by Ken to do the MSEL program in San Diego, because that's where he lives. That's where mm. WD40 is. And he didn't think he had time. He had just become CEO, but it's so transformed. He did it. Mm. He did the MSEL. And it's so transformed the culture at WD40 that they went from being this terrible hierarchy with one program, with one product, WD40. Mm -hmm. And they were like a hundred million to being a tribal culture. And they transformed into a multi-product business now. And they're like the darling of wall street, yeah. right? Yeah. They're, they're yeah. close to a billion dollars. <clears throat> yeah. And that's how he, because of that relationship, he was at SEMA mm. um, endorsing the WD40 car that was being done and that's why he got to fly into arizona was yeah, it, it, was it was arizona, arizona? Yeah. so it was on his way home to san diego yeah. and then the australians you know gary ridge is an australian so all the aussies were in the front laurie beecham they're all in the front row and they're like he's our guy man he's our guy and so that was that's one of the, my, the best things i get to do with ara um i was also um able to bring michael hyatt to the um yeah. the focused you know yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Focus Amazing. leaders. So, anyway. Amazing. Amazing. And and you know, you, you talk about reading and uh, and you know, is there one book that you've read in the last twelve months that you would recommend to our listeners and and, and why? I know. You, I know you had that as one of my questions, and if I had to just say one, this is this is going to be hard. I'm pulling up my Audible. I'm looking at my library. What would be the one? The one. You know, I like to read for fun and I, yeah. you know, yeah. I had a, um, the former editor of Thomas Nelson or Zondervan, I got to meet him once mm. and he said, I, he said, Becky, I just taste books. He says, I don't have time to read them all. Mm. And I'll be really honest. I think you read more than I do probably. And I think that I taste books. So I get out of them what I want and yeah. then I yeah. kind of move on to the next one. Um, but I'm looking. Well, I'll tell you honestly what it, one thing that's not really a business book, but it is that's really been amazing for me is reading The Fountainhead um, by I by Ayn Rand and and now Atlas Shrugged. Boy, if ever there was a nonfiction book about it's really about capitalism. I'm sorry, but it's just you know maybe it's not that popular, but but capitalism, uh, but it is so amazing. Probably I never wanted to really read her because, um, you know, I'm a Christian. And so you know, I have this worldview and that that's great. Um, you can be anything you want to be. That's that's you know, but so Ayn Rand, the author is known as the mother or the the inventor of secular humanism. So I wasn't sure I 100% wanted to read The Fountainhead mm -hmm. or Atlas Shrugged. 
However, um, I wasn't sure, like, I try to be careful about like what I'm putting in my brain sometimes, you know, not in a narrow minded, I think I'm a very broad minded Mm. person, but I was just a little worried about it. But let me tell you, fantastic business book. It's 600 pages, 800 pages, something crazy. Get it on Audible. Get it free from your library. It will change the way that you think about the people in your organization, their motivations. She must be the best writer. I mean, I've read Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment. I, I love certain books, you know, that I had to read in high school that were hard to read, but you get so much out of them. Change, it, will, it will change the way you look at your life, your business, everything. They're business wow. books. Yeah, they're great. Well, I've, I've got to admit, one of my one of my best ones recently was um, the one we got from uh, Jason Redman, um, uh, yes. the, the Trident, the one uh, when when Jason came to speak at the ARA, and uh, you know, actually got it got it got it signed as well, which is love it, which is amazing, you know. Um, and then the second one he, he brought out to overcome, it's another really 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 good book, and uh, you know, I've I have thoroughly enjoyed both of those, and yes. You know, uh, particularly when he talks about what he went through. Um, yes, there are mm-hmm. the, yes there are tears, but uh, you know, it's, it's how he's come out the other side and what he's done the other side that's been that's been truly amazing. So, uh, Jason has been a gift to ARA. He has very much so, very much so, and uh, really really impressed. Um, yeah, and then and then I've got to be honest. You mentioned Ken Blanchard earlier, um, but uh, servant leadership in action. Uh, Ken Blanchard and, and Rene Broadwell, which is basically um, going through Ken's Ken's address book and getting and, and getting his contacts to 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 write about a specific subject, and uh, and it's it's just, it's just it's Ken's contact list. It is, you know, that is how I came to know Ken. Yeah. Is he came to Spartanburg, South Carolina, for his servant leadership organization. Mm. And I was asked to drive him to the local bookstore to meet the owner. Mm. And that's when he introduced me to the MSE at the Masters of Science and Executive Leadership. But you know what? Ken brings home a lot of strays and I was just one of them. But I mean, he brings home the cab driver, the liver, you know, the guy who takes him to the airport. One time, no joke, I was getting in a, they sent a black car to take me to the airport, Andy. And this gentleman driving me said, did you know Ken is on my board? I'm a, I'm a prince and I'm a king and africa of a tribe and he hands me this portfolio and it shows you know what the work he does in africa and there it is ken blanchard's on his board of directors and i was like of course he is the man is servant the man is a servant leader in action for sure absolutely absolutely and just slightly just sort of going back to business um if there's one thing that the uh, u.s government could do that would have a really really massive benefit to your industry to the to the catalyst recycling industry what would that be and why sure well the government so when i worked for umacore mark caffrey was my boss and he's now president of umacore usa and he testified before the u.s senate natural resources committee and he said that if north america would fully recycle its automobiles, its appliances, and its electronics. It would become the Saudi Arabia of critical technology materials. And we would never go to another country for rare earths for anything. 
And I think that if, um, and you know, I've had a daughter that's been at the White House and on Capitol Hill the past two years. And I think if the laws in our states and in our country would become more pro-recycling and from an educational standpoint, we could back up pro-recycling laws. I think we could accomplish that because there's nowhere near 95% of our electronics, our appliances and our cars being recycled, no matter what we say. We know things are sitting, sitting in yards, sitting in people's properties. And I think if the government would, would back us up, I'll give you a quick example. When, we went, when I left Umicore and we looked for a, a property, um, to put the to put United Catalyst in again, um, the city of Spartanburg had so many laws on the books because they thought we were going to be an eyesore. We couldn't be near a school. We couldn't be near a body of water. We couldn't be near a church. We couldn't be. You know, there were so many laws that we went through every property in Spartanburg County, and we could not get approved on any building. And then Greenville accepted us. So I would say if they would have a pro stance toward recycling and start removing some of the barriers to electronics and automobiles and appliance recycling, they would be doing themselves the best good because they would be harvesting the urban mine, the mine that is above, uh, above ground, mm. which is so much far less damaging to the environment than mining itself. So 80% of the world's precious metals come from mining and 20% comes from recovery of recyclables, of which auto catalyst is the largest mm -hmm. part. But can you imagine if we could just harvest that? Yeah. Amazing. Wow. What a, what a thing to think of. And then the final question, and we ask this of everybody on the podcast, what was your first car? And do you have any special memories of that car? Absolutely. So big ass. So <laughs> I was dating Tim in college, and um, his dad, being in the muffler, he had big Al's. It used to be Midas, and then Meineke, and then it was big Al's. So they got me a 1985 Jeep Cherokee Laredo, gorgeous, silver. I mean, I love cars. Silver rims. It was jacked up just a little bit. It was red. Said Laredo on it. Hard top, soft top. It was absolutely beautiful. And I took it to Missouri. And I was just the belle of the ball, you can imagine, right? In college with this gorgeous Jeep. And then I don't know what happened, but I, I had a problem with the gasket cover and I blew the engine on the way home from school. Sad. But it was a great, I mean, I've got pictures of all my girlfriends with that car. I mean, every football player, I don't think Tim enjoyed the fact that he was not in Missouri. I was. And he'd say, how'd you get that hard top off the Jeep? I saw you girls, you know, you sent a picture of the girls are driving around. With the, oh, you know, the football team helped us take that off. Like, oh, I bet they did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what an amazing story. I love it. I love it. We've had some really good stories about cars as well on this one. So yeah. that, Andy, real quick. And that my mom and I drove a 1972 Volkswagen Bug Yellow. Um, for 10 years from mm. 72 to 82. Mm. We were single, my mom and I. Mm. And, you know, we'd have to wrap our blankets around our legs in new england because but the heat didn't come on until the time we got there right that's it yeah yeah that's it that's it amazing becky thank you it's been inspiration and uh, you know uh, doing these podcasts i learned so much as well uh, but thank you very very much for taking the time out to talk to us today andy you're one of my favorite people in this industry and it's a pleasure
Always have time for you and for your audience. That was amazing. Thank you. A big thank you to Becky for her time and her knowledge. You will find details on how to contact United Catalyst Corporation in the notes for this podcast. Please also subscribe to the podcast and please take the time to like and share this podcast and give us a rating on your podcast app. Thank you for your time and we'll see you on the next podcast.